0: Welcome fellow true crime enthusiasts to today's case file, the life and death of Tupac, So Many Tears. Welcome to Body of Crime, your go-to true crime podcast, where we plunge headfirst, into the gripping world of criminal mysteries. Join your hosts, Jose Medina, Crystal Garcia, and Alicia Anaya, as we deliver the full stories immersing you in the heart of each case. With spine-chilling cases, in-depth analysis, captivating interviews, and a comprehensive examination of the evidence, embark on a thrilling journey with us as we explore bone-chilling cases from around the globe. Whether you're a seasoned true crime enthusiast or a fresh face in the genre, we guarantee to keep you on the edge of your seat. So put on your detective hat, grab your notepad, and get ready to dive into the thrilling world of Body of Crime.
1: Elementary I thrived on misery Left me alone, I grew up amongst a dying breed. Inside my mind, couldn't find a place to rest. Until I got that dug like tatted on my chest, tell me, can you feel me? I'm not living in the past. You wanna last? speed the first to blast. Remember Cato, no longer with the seat deceits. Call on the sirens, seen the murdered in the streets. Now rest in peace. is there heaven for a G. Remember me. So many homies in the cemetery, shed so many tears.
0: People shakur never had a run-in with the law until after he became famous. As his acting career began taking off with the completion of his filming of Juice in 1992 and the subsequent release of his freshman album, Tupacalypse Now, fame and ego began to work in conjunction to draw the ire and attention of law enforcement. It was a life that Tupac's mother had attempted to protect him from, with her own experience with law enforcement and the FBI. Tupac had almost been born in prison, had it not been for Afini Shakur's clever and genius defense of the Panther 21 trials that catapulted her onto the national headlines. After the trials and Afini's release from prison, the Shakurs moved frequently, avoiding the ability for them to be targeted and persecuted by law enforcement and the government. This would lead to multiple relocations in New York and later a move to Baltimore before finally settling in Marin City, California. And it would be in California where Tupac would have his first encounter with the Oakland Police Department, establishing an adversarial relationship with law enforcement that would carry him throughout his years of fame and culminate with first responders when he is ambushed and shot in Las Vegas, where he eventually succumbed to his wounds and dies on September 13th, 1996.
1: In 1991, Tupac's career seemed to be blossoming, and he was coming off of a touring high as a roadie and an upcoming rapper with Digital Underground. Tupac's demo, which would later become songs from his Tupacalypse Now album, Was being shopped around and although Tupac felt like things weren't moving at the pace he desired, there was definitely forward progress. This was the situation that Tupac found himself on October 1st of 1991 when he exited a vehicle at 17th and Broadway in downtown Oakland and crossed the street as he headed to the bank. Up until this point, Tupac had not had any run-ins with the law and didn't realize that he had committed a crime by jaywalking. For everybody who don't know, as if it doesn't happen every day, everywhere, I, an innocent young black male, was walking down the streets of Oakland, minding my own business, and the police department saw it fit for me to be trained or snapped into my place, so they asked me for ID, sweating me about my name, because my name is Super. And I said, my final words was up y'all. Next thing I knew, I was in the show passing out, unconscious, with cups on, going to jail for resisting arrest. Yes, resisting arrest. Okay, where is the situation at now? So yeah, now we're, we're, we're in the midst of having a... Ten million dollar lawsuit against Oakland Police Department. And if I win and get the money, then the Oakland Police Department is going to buy a boy's home, um, me a house, my family a house, and uh, stop police brutality center and other little odd things like that. The crime of jaywalking involves a pedestrian illegally crossing a street or roadway. This typically occurs when an individual crosses outside of a designated crosswalk or ignores pedestrian traffic signals. Jaywalking is considered a violation of traffic laws and is classified as a very low-level offense. The specific regulations and penalties can vary, but the essence of the crime is the same. Crossing a street in a manner that disregards established pedestrian crossing rules potentially endangering oneself and disrupting vehicular traffic. In many places, jaywalking is explicitly illegal and can result in a ticket or a fine, but rarely does it result in anything major. Unfortunately for Tupac, two police officers witnessed him cross the street outside of a designated crosswalk and used it as an opportunity to detain and question Tupac, asking him his name. This came after the very brutal assault of Rodney King and a group of Los Angeles police officers who had been video-recorded beating King, citing resisting arrest as their motive. The acquittal of these officers would later fuel the LA riots, causing millions in damages throughout California. Tupac would file charges of police brutality against the Oakland police officers, suing for $10 million, but he would later settle for $43,000, finding it easier just to take the settlement and move on with his life. This, however, would only be the start of Tupac's legal woes, and not his last legal issue in the Bay Area. Almost a year later, on August 22, 1992, fresh off of the shooting of his first movie Juice, Tupac would return to Marin City with the intention of showing the city where he grew up some love. There was an annual music festival where his old rap group, 5150, was performing. He showed up with an entourage and drama quickly ensued with some local toughs. Someone from Tupac's camp drew a weapon and shots were fired. With one of the gunshots striking six year old Kiyad Walker Teal in the head, killing the child instantly. The family would later file a wrongful death suit, which Tupac settled for a sum of somewhere between 300K to 500K. This event would prompt Tupac to relocate permanently to Los Angeles, although he always claimed Oakland as his hometown. Let's start off by talking about Tupac and the fact that he had never had a problem with law enforcement until he actually started to see a rise in his in his fame. What do you make of that?
0: Um, it could be it, it could be a number of different things. When I've seen a lot of the footage where Tupac is interacting with people, he tries to come off as kind of having this gangster image. And that's not going to be perceived well by police. Even if police were, were coming and saying, hey, what are you doing out here? You know, like it's late. You shouldn't be out here.
1: I don't think that's the way the police approach black kids in black neighborhoods. I think they approach them a lot different than that's that. That's pretty blanketed. But you're talking about Oakland, first of all. <laughs> all right, you're talking about Oakland. You We've been to Oakland. We know what Oakland is like. That's not a place where the police are going to just pull up and say, hey, buddy, come come here. Let me let me talk to you really quick. And that's obviously not what happened in this scenario, I don't think, especially during this time. This is around the time that I grew up. And I had my own run ins with the law, very similar to this type of situation where the police were very, very abusive. And I'm not saying that all police are abusive in any kind of way. I have friends who are police officers and stuff like maybe one, (laughs) but the point is, there are some police officers who abuse that authority. And in this situation, it seemed like these guys were a little abusive. He was jaywalking. Now, I don't know the details. I don't know, did he step in front of a car? Did he? Was he being a nuisance in the street? I think all of that matters. But from the, my understanding, and especially with the way that it played out in court with them finally settling, I don't think they had a real reason to stop him. Other than he was a black kid in a black community. He was walking across the street into a bank. And he looked like he was trouble. And so they decided to have an interaction with him. Which would be the wrong thing to do.
0: It's not smart to be in an area like that and then be, argue with them or say, oh, you don't have any right to stop me or I don't have to talk to you. You know, I don't know what the conversation is, but my point is, is that you have to be aware of where you're at and your attitude and how you're conducting yourself needs to reflect that.
1: What I'm hearing you basically say is that if you get approached by police officers, just do whatever they say, whether they're right or wrong. It doesn't matter. They're in a position of authority and you're not. That is part of the problem with the relationship between police officers and young men in general, and especially minorities. And you're right. There is a a sense of hyper-awareness. And, uh, you know, we were in the military and we've deployed and we've been in combat situations where people of the community who are of fighting age, right? Which you would consider Tupac at this time to be a fighting age. You know, he's a, he's a young man and you automatically elevate them to a certain threat level. Right. But then you don't also go out there and then start antagonizing them and trying to provoke an incident. It's a little bullyish, Yeah. And to me, Just because of my personal experience with living in neighborhoods like this, I I grew up close to Oakland, being in this type of environment and having these types of interactions with police officers who, it's a battle of ego. The cops have their ego, and then the individual they're stopping has his ego as well. And in this situation, Tupac had his ego, and the police had their ego, and they kind of went at it. And obviously, Tupac's going to lose. He's outnumbered, and he doesn't have authority on his side.
0: Which why you can't have a battle there in that environment yeah i agree if if they um, do something that's wrong as long as you're not having to defend yourself physically or you know whatever then you're gonna have to deal with that in the courtroom or in another manner is my point because you acting in a way that allows them to escalate like you would in the military when we're following rules of engagement and we're escalating force based on particular actions. It's the same thing with the police. So why would you act in a manner that would cause them to go through their escalation of force? whether you think that you're doing it for the right reason or
1: not, but it doesn't make it right. I'm not saying that. And you're not wrong. You're 100% right. And that's the way that I interact with the cops. Now when the police pull me over, I'm polite. I'm friendly because I don't want to get drug out of my car. I don't want to get beat upside my head. I don't want to get choked and thrown in the police car for resisting arrest, obviously. But the relationship between law enforcement and minorities has to improve. And there's no scenario that I could think of, logical scenario that I can think of, where someone who jaywalks should be physically assaulted if there was nothing else provoking the situation then it shouldn't have escalated you know how many people jaywalk in oakland <laughs> 99% of the population <laughs> you know what i'm saying but no they get the 1% tupac and they they decide to give have a, have a bad day and anyways tupac did have a chip on his shoulder and that might have came from The stories that he heard from his mom about her interactions with the cop and how the how the police and the FBI mistreated his mother, you know, his stepfather and and he had family that was in prison. And so there's already going to be a like a bias. Yeah, there's already going to be an adversarial relationship with law enforcement. That's going to be natural because you're already growing up thinking, hey, these cops are coming here to harass me. They're bothering me and they're doing it because I'm black and I'm young and I look like I'm a a thug. I look like I'm a troublemaker. So this turns into a court battle. Obviously, he gets the upper hand. You know, he's suing for $10 million and he probably could have got a lot more than the 43,000 that he did get. But he decides to walk away from the money because he's trying to focus on his career.
0: Well, sometimes it's a strategy for no other reason than to hold them accountable, which to me is the right thing you can't be somebody who serves and protects a community and upholds the law. And then in that capacity, do things that are not within the law that are not within, you know, the ethics of being law enforcement. And so if you're doing something that isn't right, you should be reprimanded. You 100% should. And they should have an escalation of force and they should have like, no matter what community you're in. And, you know, part of having a relationship with the community is being able to communicate with the people in the area that you're in. That's important in so many different regards for law enforcement safety, for the community safety. And so that shows that there is a gap. There. And I don't know if, if they knew Tupac at the time, if they were into his kind of music or not, or if they even knew who he was, or they just assumed he was, you know, what they would have designated as a thug walking around and up to no good. I don't know what they thought of him.
1: And then, you know, you would think that he would learn from that lesson. But then a few months later, he comes back to Marin City for a good purpose. There was some good intention there. But then there's a there's an altercation that causes the, the death of a, of a six year old kid. And... From my understanding in, in reading Afini's book and also in reading Tupac's autobiography, this was a an event that emotionally impacted Tupac and it really bothered him. Like the death of this kid really bothered him. This is the thing that causes him to leave the Bay Area and move down to LA, you know, where he's working on his music and he's working on his movies.
0: On April 5th, 1993, only eight months after the shooting incident of young Walker Till, Tupac was arrested following an incident at Michigan State University where he assaulted another rapper by the name of Chauncey Wynn, a member of the rap group M.A.D., with a baseball bat, taking a swing at Chauncey, stemming over an argument over a microphone. Supposedly, Tupac had borrowed two microphones from Chauncey worth $600 each, While Tupac was performing, his microphone was intentionally turned off due to his obscene language during his performance, and he threw the $600 microphone onto the ground. Chauncey picked the microphone up and handed it back to Tupac, asking him to not break the microphone. Tupac, who was using a baseball bat as a prop during the show, took a swing at Chauncey, then jumped off the stage into the crowd, and the concert was shut down as chaos erupted. Tupac would be arrested... The following morning at the airport he was released after posting a fifty thousand dollar bond but facing up to four years in prison for the felonious assault witnesses report that tupac appeared intoxicated tupac would later plead to a misdemeanor charge and served 10 days in the ingham county jail later that year tupac would find himself back on the legal hot seat when he follows the Hughes brothers to a video shoot and physically assaults Alan Hughes for firing him from the movie Menace to Society after Tupac and the Hughes brothers failed to agree on the script and his role in the film. Tupac would later go on Yo! MTV raps and confess to the assault which would end in a conviction on February 10th 1994 on a single count of battery and assault for the attack. Tupac would serve 15 days in jail for the assault. Tupac would continue to spiral with another incident occurring on Halloween of 1993 in Atlanta, Georgia, when after witnessing a black man being brutalized by two white men and one of the men brandishing a firearm, Tupac pulled out a gun from his car and shot the two men. Both men survived the shooting, but the two men turned out to be off-duty police officers. All charges would eventually be dropped when it was discovered that one of the officers had removed the firearm he was carrying from the evidence room illegally. All charges were dismissed, but both officers filed civil suits, which were later settled by Tupac Shakur.
1: Tupac's legal woes came to a culmination on November 18, 1993, after a tumultuous year with multiple legal issues when Tupac and his entourage were accused of sexually assaulting a female fan by the name of Ayanna Jackson at Tupac's Meridian Hotel in New York. He was there filming his new movie, Above the Rim, when the incident occurred. During the filming of Above the Rim, Tupac had become acquainted with a local gangster by the name of Haitian Jack remodeled the character he played in the film, Birdie, after. He developed a close relationship with Haitian Jack, although numerous friends warned him that Haitian Jack was a dangerous man and that he was out of his league. Tupac did not heed the warnings. Tupac had met Ayanna Jackson through Haitian Jack and developed a relationship with a young fan. They had sexual relations prior to the accusation of the sexual assault. On the day that the incident took place, Ayanna Jackson had gone to Tupac's hotel and was in his private room giving him a massage while his entourage were out in the common space of the suite. Sometime during the massage, members of the entourage entered Tupac's room and according to Ms. Jackson, took liberties with her that were unwelcomed for which she had not consented. Tupac claimed to have not been in the room at the time, but according to Ms. Jackson, he had encouraged the event and had not done anything to stop it from happening. She would file charges of sexual assault the next day. When charges were filed, Tupac and his childhood friend would be charged, but Haitian Jack would not be charged. This caused a rift in their relationship and Tupac began feeling like Haitian Jack had set him up. Tupac would spend the rest of 1994 fighting the case and pleading his innocence on talk shows like Arsenio Hall as he was dropped from movies and his career was placed on hold pending the outcome of the case. Tupac began snubbing Haitian Jack publicly, which would eventually lead to the Quad Studio shootings on November 30th of 1994, when Jimmy Henchman, a close associate of Haitian Jack, hired a crew to rob Tupac of his jewelry. Tupac was armed and refused to not put up a fight, which subsequently resulted in him being shot multiple times. On December 1st of 1994, Tupac would be acquitted of the sodomy charges and the gun charges, but he would be charged with grabbing this Jackson's buttocks, receiving a sentence of 18 months to four and a half years. The judge set his bail at $3 million, which he was unable to cover. And on February 7th, after several weeks of healing and recuperating from the shooting at the Quad Studios, Tupac was sent to prison.
0: Hey there, fellow true crime enthusiasts and body of crime listeners. As true crime lovers, we're excited to deep dive the Tupac series with our listeners. But before we dive into the dark and mysterious world of crime, I want to tell you about a fantastic local art studio right here in Houston, Texas, that you won't want to miss.
1: It's called Province 8 Art Studio, and they have a massive selection of original art to include a large selection of urban and hip-hop art that truly captures the essence of our city. If you're local, then you can find them at 17037 Farm to Market Road 529, is just a stone throw away from where our podcast is produced. It's truly a mecca for all things creative, from poetry open mic nights, recording studio sessions, to art classes. This is truly a one-stop art depot for the truly creatives.
0: But what makes Province 8 Art Studio even more special is their incredible Tupac Shakur art pieces, of which they have several, to include our Tupac series cover art. I'm sure you've seen it on the latest episode's cover, Tupac playing a guitar, standing in front of a microphone, capturing the Energy of his music and spirit. This is an original six foot by four foot canvas piece by Ezra Hezekiah for sale, and it can be purchased and shipped worldwide.
1: They ship worldwide? They do. Even six foot pieces like Jamming Out Tupac?
0: They do. Bigger ones than that. And by going directly to the artist's webpage at www.blackrhinoartgroup.com, you can pick and choose the material, the size, and even the format of your choosing if you're not ready to splurge on the original. You can even get special edition prints, original paintings, digital art. There's so many options. And if you're a decorator like me, you might want to throw in some throw pillows. You might want to get you an ashtray. Might even want to get you some swag.
1: The attention to detail and the way they bring Tupac to life through art is truly Remarkable! It's a must-see for any Tupac fan or anyone who really, truly appreciates the fusion of art and hip-hop culture.
0: So listeners, do yourself a favor and check out Province 8 Art Studio. Visit their website at www.province8artstudio.com or pay them a visit in person. You'll be blown away by their urban and hip-hop art collection and, of course, that incredible Tupac Shakur piece.
1: Support local artists and immerse yourself in a world of art inspired by the legends of hip-hop. Province 8 Art Studio is where creativity meets culture. Tell them Joe or Crystal from Body of Crime sent you. We'll post a link in the show notes. What I think is crazy is that from 1991 to 1992, he's having issues consistently 1993 just barely a few months after the shooting of walker teal he's back in trouble because he's he's acting out he's just he's acting out he's acting like tupac he's losing his cool chasing people with baseball bats acting reckless i don't think
0: just anybody could have could have calmed him honestly and it was probably going to be a female truthfully and he probably probably didn't have that so Just because he's he was used to dealing with his mom and dealing with his sister. And I think he was kind of struggling with this whole how he was supposed to be as a male in the entertainment industry in this new genre that's coming about at this point in time. I think he was trying to find his place and I don't think just anybody could have mentored him in that regard, because he's going through this whole, who am I and, and what's my role and how am I supposed to serve in, in this new capacity that I have?
1: I think it's a great call out. And, you know, we were having a conversation the other day when we were having breakfast and we were talking about boys being raised by their moms and how when a boy is not raised by his father, or he doesn't have a father figure in his life that can teach him how to be a man. A lot of times boys will struggle to to achieve maturity of a man they they still think like boys and and they don't really they don't really evolve into that maturity that you need and you know teaching you how to make good decisions and now his mother was addicted to crack so he didn't have the best role model on the mother side either you know what I'm saying at that point like he she was a good role model overall holistically but during the time when he was you know becoming his his own man He didn't have somebody there teaching him how to make good decisions and how to, you know, do the right thing and how to handle himself in a way that didn't expose him unnecessarily to multiple lawsuits, multiple times in jail, multiple run ins with the law, dealing with people who you think you're on the same level with, but you're really not. There's no way that someone who went to art school is on the same level as someone who has put people into the ground, who has killed people. And Haitian Jack was on that level. Haitian Jack was a gangster, a real gangster.
0: And that's really where, you know, the funny thing is I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about the importance of mentorship all throughout your life. Yeah. And it's really important for you to have mentors in every area of your life. So when you're, you know, trying to make really big financial moves, you should have somebody that's mentoring you that has accomplished something similar to what you're wanting to accomplish or has accomplished more. And I feel like that same thing goes for every area of your life. So whether it's financial or if it's the music business, I would want to know if I was a music artist, who some of the best people are and I would want to attach myself to that person to learn about the business and to learn what to do and not to do, you know, and sometimes I feel like, you know, throughout your life, like you're, you'll have multiple mentors, you know, you might have one mentor that's really good with life situations. And then you have another mentor that's really good with the music industry or business. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a gap where I feel like, and I won't even just say men, I'll say men and women, but where because you're trying to fill a role and you believe that you're supposed to be a certain way that you think you're above having that mentorship or needing it not even just having it but needing it knowing that you need it i think you need to be aware that you need it always you're always going to need it you're always going to need unless you're planning on staying stagnant which hopefully you're not you need somebody to say hey look man Don't do that. This is going to mess you up two years from now. You don't even realize it, but this is creating ripples for two years. So he needed that and he didn't have it.
1: He gets into the situation with Chauncey with the swinging of the baseball bat at the concert. Right. He's intoxicated, maybe. And maybe that's the excuse that got him in that hot water. But then he assaults one of the Hughes brothers. Right. And not only does he assault the Hughes brothers, but then he goes on national TV and he admits to assaulting. The Hughes brothers. This is a rookie mistake. This is what we call dry snitching. When you snitch it on yourself, you're telling on yourself. And a lot of kids nowadays do this on social media when they're posting with, like, I just robbed so-and-so and and here's his chain. Or I just, look at the gun that I got. Like, you're just telling on yourself. And that's exactly what he did. He went on TV and he said, I beat up Alan Hughes. (laughs) And that resulted in him being convicted of, of assault. And he got off easy he got 15 days in jail, but he could have went to prison for years. It's reckless.
0: Yeah. There too, you really have to be focused on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And if all those other things that you're doing or experiencing are not part of that path to get you there, they're speed bumps, they're detours, they're, they're nonsense, they're noise. And the longer that you allow for those things to happen, you're going to continue to see those things manifest over and over and over again. And obviously, it's almost like he's getting these these lessons and he's just not getting it, which is
1: so unfortunate. And then the very last situation before we get into the sexual assault was the shooting of the two off-duty police officers. And I see this, too, in today's age with with young rappers and, and young artists They want to be the guy carrying the gun. They want to be the one that's pulling the trigger. They want to be, but they don't realize that they're the money. Right. You know, here he is getting into a shootout with police officers and he's got a full entourage with him of people that's on his payroll that probably he pays to handle situations just like the one that he's putting himself in the middle of.
0: Right. He's the money. Again, a mentor could have helped him with that. A mentor yeah. could have told him, "Hey, look, every time we go out, like this is the deal and this is why." Right. You know, like you have to you have to remain protected as much as possible because you're you're the VIP in this group." Right. So, yeah. and we have to that's the that's the role that you need to be in. You can't be in these other roles because they're not your roles.
1: It's a tragedy when you don't have someone in your camp that can sit you down and tell you you're messing up the money. You're messing up the situation. You're not doing the responsible thing. This same type of energy is what eventually gets him into the problems in Las Vegas that we'll get to. But this energy is something that he continues to carry into every situation as he, as he moves forward. The relationship with Haitian Jack was a mistake. It was a bad judgment. People told him, Mike Tyson told him, Biggie Smalls told him, hey, this is not a guy to mess with. This is not, he's not a joke. He's not an actor in a movie that you're playing. And he didn't take those warnings. And it's very likely that he set Tupac up with Ayanna Jackson. From my understanding, Haitian Jack had a relationship, a sexual relationship with Ayanna Jackson before Tupac had a sexual relationship with Ayanna Jackson. So she was Haitian Jack's girl, not his girlfriend, but like one of his girls, like, you know, and so it's not surprising that now here's a lawsuit and here's, you know, it's a money grab. And I think even Tupac felt it because he's like, wait a minute, I don't understand. I'm the one who didn't do anything and I'm the one that's, you know, paying the price for it. Who you have in your corner is really important,
0: no matter who you are in life. Your circle needs to be set up in a manner to where you can trust the people that are closest to you and the people who you trust less are further out in that that radius of your circle or whatever you want to call it, especially when you're in a position where you're famous and one wrong tabloid can impact your money, your career, your success. Like it can completely derail you. There are so many music artists and actresses and actors who have pretty much been snuffed out because of a really silly thing that happened that got bad attention or that the wrong people were involved with. Like you just really have to Be very strategic about who you have around you, that you can really trust those people and that you really have people who are not yes men and yes women who are gonna say, look, dude, or look, girl, like what you're doing right now, it it ain't good. And you need to stop it now because like you have an opportunity right now to do something really amazing and to, and to elevate yourself to a platform where you can really create some incredible change. Like you're being handed this platform right now.
1: Right. And don't ruin it. With his loss of trust in Haitian Jack, he begins to like kind of like snub him publicly. And this is where you realize that, Tupac is not from the streets. This is the event that shows you he is not from the streets because someone who is from the streets and understands and plays according to the rules of the streets understands that respect is a big thing, right? And disrespect can get you killed. And I think that the whole robbery of Tupac's jewelry, I don't think there was any intent to kill Tupac. No one really saw him as that level of a threat where it's like, I want to murder this guy. Let's teach him a lesson. Let's teach him that he's touchable. Let's teach him that he's vulnerable. Let's teach him who runs the city. And that's the message that was sent to him at quad studios when those guys went in there to rob him. And it was guys that Jimmy henchman who was with Haitian Jack at the time in the studio, set him up for the robbery. And, Tupac being the kind of hothead that he is. While he's got weapons drawn on him. Goes for a weapon. Anyone who knows about security will tell you that's a dumb move. Because you're already outgunned from the very beginning. So reaching for a weapon when someone's pointing a weapon at you is an instant way to get shot. Not a smart move. But. Someone who's been around guns and someone who's been around gunplay knows this. Not only that, but Tupac had two millimeter Glocks on him. Guess what his entourage had? Nothing.
0: I don't know how music artists back then dealt with their security, but you have to have security with you yeah. all the time and you cannot be the person you're you're gonna not be paying attention you're walking people are getting your attention yelling things saying things maybe you're in a zone maybe you got a headset on whatever the case is like your security is in charge of paying attention and you know escalating things if need be so no it makes no tactical sense whatsoever that you're the only
1: person with a firearm he's going through the motion of being one of the characters in one of the movies that he's played and he's doing the things that he thinks a gangster does, but it is not gangster to not have security. Even Al Capone had security. Yeah.
0: I think he was in a phase of of trying, he was trying to figure out how he could reach the people of the communities that he grew up in and that his his mom and his dad were you know, had interacted with or who respected his mom and dad. And I think he felt like that was part of earning their respect, you know, and if he would have at some point got the right mentorship and would have settled into who he really was, I feel like he, he just could have done so much.
1: Yeah. I think he also overestimated his influence on the black community. There's a, a story in his autobiography that talks about how disappointed he was that it was another black person who shot him because he just thought I'm for the people. Why would the people be against me? But you have to understand that racism exists, discrimination exists, but guess what? Classism also exists and there's the haves and the have nots. And when you're a have, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. The person who has the same color skin as you, who is a have not, is going to come and take what you have because he doesn't see another way of getting it.
0: And that's something even to be aware of in some of those areas as well, is that for people who have never been exposed to anything other than that area that they're in, if you grew up in a really bad area and all you see is that in order to be successful, you either have to take or you have to do something illegal, even though you know it's wrong, that's a mentality that's ingrained in you until you learn otherwise. And so that's also something that when you're moving through areas like that and when you're dealing with
1: people that you have to be aware of. That's a great call out. There's an interview with Nipsey Hussle where he says the exact same thing. Until you're out of survival mode, you don't care about peace and and justice and, and the law. And all you care about is putting food on the table. When you don't have resources, you're in survival mode. You know, so being in survival mode automatically rules out a lot of things because you don't care about morality because you don't experience morality. You experience, you know, the need to survive. You don't experience, you know, fairness. You don't experience planning for the future. You just experience my ribs touching, you know what I mean? And it's better me than you. And you know, it's a survival instinct that kick in. So I think once you get out of the survival mode, your, your morals come back closer to, to your daily decision-making. You start thinking about what's right and what do I believe in. But until you get out of survival mode, you ain't got time to be worrying about right and wrong. You worrying about bottom line. You know what I mean? By any means necessary. That's the truth. That's basic survival. That's basic, you know, I want I want to live. You know what I'm saying? And until the basics are met, Nothing else matters. Everything is is up for grabs. Tupac began serving his sentence on the
0: 7th of February of 1995 at the Clinton Correctional Facility as inmate number 95-Alpha-1140. His junior album and quite possibly one of his greatest records was released while he was in prison, Me Against the World, on March 14th, 1995. Prior to going to prison, he had met and started dating Keisha Morris, a law student, and the couple were married on April 29, 1995. The marriage would be short-lived as they would divorce shortly after his release less than six months later. Life for Tupac Shakur in Clinton Correctional Facility was a period of significant reflection and change. His short time in the maximum security state prison was marked by a mix of isolation and creative productivity. While the specific daily details of his life inside the facility are not extensively documented, it's known that this period was introspective for Tupac, leading him to delve into reading and writing. He engaged with various books that influenced his outlook and music, contributing to his artistic evolution. During this time, Tupac focused on planning his future, contemplating his career and personal life beyond the prison walls. Despite the challenges of incarceration, Tupac managed to stay connected to the outside world, maintaining communication with his music industry contacts and preparing for his eventual release and comeback. This would eventually lead to him making a deal with Death Row CEO, Suge Knight, and what some would call Tupac's deal with the devil that began his road toward his ultimate demise.
1: This is all I want to say. For all the people that doubt me, I had no record all my life. No record. No police record. Until I made a record. As my video was debuting on MTV, I was behind bars getting beat up by the police department. I got a $10 million lawsuit. They they said they were settled with me and everything. You know what I'm saying? But nobody cared about that. That wasn't blew up all in the news. In they Oakland. didn't see me, they did not see me on TV with my eye busted, my head busted. There's pictures of those. In you Oakland, don't see, you're Yes, in Oakland. You don't see them pictures. You see pictures of Tupac coming out of jail and cuffs. You don't see pictures of the police standing over me, beating my brains in. You don't see that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not guilty. People should look me in my eyes. They should look me in my eyes. Anybody that thinks I've committed that rape should go get brenda has Got a Baby and keep your head up and listen to him thoroughly. Tupac goes to jail, and this is the first time that he's actually, this is prison. It's the first time that he loses his freedom and he's not in control anymore and it's real and it's serious and guess what now he's with real killers, real gangsters, people who really do crime for a living.
0: And I want to start off by saying that he sh- he shouldn't have been in a maximum security prison. No, he shouldn't. Have which been. is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not sure how they allowed for that to happen. I don't know if with his charges, somehow they attach a gang enhancement and maybe that allowed for them to be able to do that. I don't think so, but a correctional facility has an obligation to protect inmates. So even though they're going to prison for whatever it is that they've done, they have an obligation to provide an environment that's free of them being mistreated, being treated inhumanely. And so Inmates are housed based on their level of crime. So if you have a drug crime, you may not be in a maximum security facility that you're not considered a maximum security facility inmate. Now, if you are there for drug crimes and you've escaped several prisons, yeah, you're going to go to the maximum security prison. Like, they're not going to deal with that. Right. If you're a sex offender, they're going to try to put you in a facility where there's people of similar, you know, stuff so that you're not being mistreated by other inmates. And so there's reasons for that. And I don't understand how they went from, yeah, he had been getting in trouble and maybe- when they were making this decision, the judge was thinking, yeah, he, he thinks he's a thug. We're going to send him to, the, you know, to a maximum security prison so he can really get a wake up call. This can, this can wake him up now. I don't know if that was their intention. They shouldn't have been able to do that.
1: He was charged for, for groping Yana Jackson's buttocks. It wasn't for a sexual assault. It was for grabbing her butt. I would not think that you would go to a maximum security prison for grabbing someone's butt.
0: So now you're housing him with people who their crimes are just significantly worse. Like they're not even on the same, they're not on the same level. So to me, they put him, they knowingly put him in a dangerous position and we can't call that justice.
1: No. And so he ends up doing 10 months. And in that process, he strikes up a deal with Suge Knight and that's what gets him out of jail.
0: Keisha Morris he had actually um, she's done a, a couple interviews where she's talked about their relationship and you know a lot of the females that knew Tupac aside from like he's famous I'm gonna sleep with him not those females but the other females that he communicated with on a regular basis all really spoke very well of him and talked about how respectful he was and she specifically had talked about how they would spend time together like just hanging out like he wasn't trying to be all over her or anything of that nature and she really got to know him for him and um she really liked who he was you know later she would feel like she was kind of used in that whole situation a little bit, and maybe she was. And again, he's going through this period, and I'm and I'm not trying to make an excuse for him at all, but he's going through this period of trying to figure out who he's supposed to be in this time frame. And sometimes people can be in your circle that you have to figure out shouldn't be in your circle, and so he could be getting some bad mentorship from people and you know, they're saying, Hey, look, man, you can't be, you can't be married. You can't be with, you can't look like you're, you know, like you're, you're in a monogamous, you know, relationship. You need to cut this off, you know, or she's not on your level. There's just so many things that could have occurred in the dynamics of all of that, that really make it unfortunate. And it's kind of sad when she talks about when he left, because she's like, he didn't even say bye. She didn't even know he had gotten out of prison and somebody came and picked up his stuff from where they stayed. And she's like, what in the world? Like,
1: you know? And you got to think, he knows he's going to prison. He wants to have some type of connection. He wants to have a relationship. It it makes sense for him to be married while he's in prison. He's got someone who's going to come visit him. He's got someone who's going to take care of him. Someone who's going to write him letters. Someone he can call on the phone. Like, all of that's important. But when you get out, it's not as important. And, And it reminds me of... The times that I've been deployed overseas, I always am connected to someone back in the world that keeps me connected to the world. Right. If not, you completely lose your place in the world that you left.
0: It's funny you say that because that's how I felt like a deployment was right. it was like a prison
1: sentence. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is because you leave everything behind. Right. And, and even, when you come back, yeah. things,
0: things continued on while you were gone. So right. you don't come back to where
1: you were at before. It's, it's always you know, unsettling. It's whenever you come back, there's a disconnect of time. Things have moved forward, but you're still a year back. Yeah. It's know? like falling
0: asleep and waking up. A year later. Cu- yeah. Like, uh, yeah.
1: Yep. absolutely. <laughs> what <Absolutely>. I miss.
0: <laughs> Your kids are growing up. You're missing games. That too. You're, that you're, too. Mis- you're missing those conversations that they're wanting to have absolutely. with you that you can't. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: But, The trajectory of Tupac Shakur's life was as dramatic as it was influential, mirroring the very themes of struggle and resistance that he so powerfully laid out in his music. From a young age, Tupac's existence was steeped in the societal issues of inequality and police brutality, themes that would continue to surface throughout his career and ultimately shape his legacy. His initial run-in with the law, an incident stemming from a minor jaywalking event, symbolized the beginning of what would become a tumultuous relationship with law enforcement and authority. This incident not only highlighted the racial tensions at the time, but also set the stage for Tupac's ongoing confrontations with authority. Tupac's legal battles were as public as they were personal, with each case adding layers to his complex persona. From the wrongful death suit in Marin City to the assault charges in Michigan, each incident fed into the narrative of Tupac as both a victim and a fighter, embodying the very essence of the thug life that he represented. His time in Clinton Correctional Facility was a testament to his resilience. Even behind bars, he managed to produce art that resonated with the masses and made plans for a future that was brutally cut short. In his final days after his release from prison and subsequent signing with Death Row Records, Tupac's life seemed to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of his lyrics. The move to Los Angeles, his final stand against the pressures that had pursued him from coast to coast, ended with his untimely death. A conclusion that was both shocking and mourned by millions. Tupac Shakur's story is not just one of fame and legal woes, but a poignant reflection of the societal issues that he bravely confronted in his music and in his life. that's a wrap on today's investigation fellow detectives if you found this episode both enlightening and captivating then please subscribe to our podcast show and our patreon leave a review and hit that like button share our podcast with others and engage with us on our website and social media platforms you can find us on all major podcast platforms as well as our website at www.bodyofcrimepodcast.com where you can access all of our episodes and bonus content including valuable resources By expanding our community, we believe we can make a greater impact in our pursuit of truth and in shedding light on crucial cases. If there's a case that you'd like for us to cover or a personal story you'd like to share, please don't hesitate and contact us through our website. We always welcome your feedback and suggestions. Until next time, stay sharp and thank you for tuning in to the Body of Crime podcast. podcast. Bye.